Open your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, and uh, I do want to share just briefly uh, before we get into uh, the message. Um, thank you so much for your prayers. Uh, I mentioned uh, uh, a couple weeks ago my stepdad, really my dad since I was about seven, um, was recently diagnosed with cancer. Um, we went Wednesday to get his PET scan done. Um, and I thought we thought he was going to get some results on Friday, uh, but that did not happen. Uh, just some confusion with his doctor and whatnot. So um, I appreciate the prayers. We're looking like we might get some more results from how severe the cancer is, where it's spread, all of that. Hopefully uh, on June 8th is his next appointment. And so if you would continue to pray for that, I would greatly appreciate that. Thank you so much for praying already and encouraging uh, or sharing that you are, which is very encouraging. Um, we're just relieving God's going to do a great work, and uh, I believe God will bring healing there. And so just continue to pray for him. I appreciate that. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to get to some verses in just a moment, um, but we're kind of, uh, kind of continuing um, in a way, uh, kind of an impromptu series of messages that started really a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we started talking about the reality that we have one life to live. We have one life to live. It is short. And it must be spent to put Christ on display and his supreme worth. Now, we said in the very first week, none of us, myself included, do that perfectly. We all are striving to do this. We're all striving by God's grace and for his glory to use the life he's gifted to us to honor him. Everything is about him. A key thought that we shared that first week that we keep kind of going back to is that when we realize every day is a gift from him, for him, that's when living takes place. When I realize every day is a gift from him, for him, for God, for Christ, that's when living takes place. Last week, we spoke about how we have one life to love. So we've talked about one life to live. We've been gifted one life. We only have one. We don't get another one. Uh, we know eternal life is coming in the sense of being with God forever. But this life he has given to us in this flesh, in this world, to make an impact for Christ. We only have one life. But we also have one life to love. Now, this, that this one life is, to, is intended to give us opportunity to love one another as Christ also has loved us. That the love of the church, the love the church has for the other people in the church, the church body globally is an example of the world, the love of Christ in us so the world can see the love God has for them. So one life to live, it's so valuable. We understand it's every day is a gift. And then we talked about last week, one life to love, that we must be driven to love one another so that the world may see the love of Christ in us and that they may know the gospel for themselves. Now, we talked about that last week, and if you weren't here with us, we encourage you, you can get that online or on the app. Uh, the reality is that Christ loves the world, and he desires for the world to come to know his love, that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he came when we weren't, and we still aren't, very lovable. And he loved us in spite of our sin. He loved us in spite of our rebellion. And he came to us and offers to us the free gift of salvation, that anyone who calls upon the name of Christ can be saved and redeemed and called a son or a daughter of God. We are who he says we are. Now let me just ask you real quick, have you ever felt like you weren't who he says you were? 
You ever feel like maybe I'm not that loved and beloved son of God or daughter of God, the chosen of God because of situations in our lives? Don't allow the circumstances of this life to change God to you. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He loved you yesterday. He loves you today, and he will love you tomorrow. He is that God. But we talked about the reality that the love of God doesn't exclude the other attributes of God. God is not loving in spite of his holiness. God is perfectly holy, just, and and the God that we know him to be, as well as perfectly loving and gracious and merciful. He is all of those things, and only God can be all of those things perfectly. I joked last week that I would obviously be tempted to and drawn to take two messages that start with one life, two, blank. And I would be tempted to try to see if what God would lead me in would match up with a title that would fit. Uh, Some of you remember me joking about this. And I'm here to inform you. I don't know about you. Maybe some of you lost sleep this week. You were like, I wonder, is he going to be able to do it? Is it possible for him to make it work? Well, I'm here to inform you that, if you put that up there, we did it. Okay, so... So I know you're really excited about this. I'm pumped about this. I know you're like, I can't believe it, but I'm so excited. I can see it on your faces. You're the most excited people I've ever seen. It's great. Look at this. I mean, it's like you're ready to just jump out of your skin. It's awesome. Maybe I'm a little more excited about this than you are, but it just, you should have been with me this week in my office when I was reading through some things and thinking about where this sermon series can go. And then I was like, this is kind of where I think we should go. And then I was like, wait a minute, that'll fit. And I praised God right there in my office. I was jumping up and down. Greg had to tell me to quiet down a couple of times. He was like, calm down. So I just can't help it. Um, But no, I'm so excited to, to talk this morning about not only do we have one life to live, one life to love, we have one life too long. Now, I know what you're thinking. One life too long. Do you mean this one life is too long? No, that's not how we're using that word this morning. What we mean is we have one life too long for Christ. One life too long for Christ. This morning, I want to ask us to consider, do we long to be with Christ? Do we desire to be with him? The phrase too long means to desire greatly or yearn for something. To desire greatly or yearn for something. It also carries the idea of to have a very strong desire or yearn for someone. So I want to look at a passage here in Philippians chapter 1 and ask us to consider for ourselves, do we long in the sense of yearning and desiring to be with Christ? I mean, do I just just long for that day when I will be with my Savior? Philippians chapter 1 and verse 22. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of, wait, I'm sorry. Oh, no, 22, yes. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit. I thought I was starting to read the wrong verse. It's almost like starting the wrong song. You just don't do that in church. Okay. Just kidding. Okay, 22, verse 22. Uh, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I, what I shall choose, I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Verse 23 is our key text this morning to kind of hear the heart of Paul. For I am in a strait betwixt two. We would say it this way. I'm in between a rock and a hard place. I'm in this this strait betwixt two. I'm, I'm stuck in this middle ground. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Let's pray. Father, 
We ask, Lord, that you would lead, guide, and direct again this morning. Thank you for the worship we've already had. Help us to know that we are who you say we are. Lord, I know that sometimes in this world we can get so distracted. Our flesh begins to whisper. Our mistakes begin to whisper. Lord, our inconsistencies, the culture, the doubts rise up. We start to question who we are in Christ, and then maybe we even start to question who you are in us. Father, I pray that you would bring a calmness, that we would know that while it's completely normal to have questions and even at times to have doubts, we can take all of that to you. We can lay it before your feet. We can be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer, express the deepest parts of our hearts, express the deepest parts of our our minds, And you will give us a peace that is beyond understanding. You will lift us up and comfort us and remind us that you saved us. We didn't save ourselves. That we have nothing to offer, but we fall on your grace. And we receive that grace by faith because you are loving and gracious and offer it to us. We have sinned before you, God, but you have come to us. The Bible says we were your enemies, but yet you came to us. You demonstrated your great love to us, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And so I pray that we would know that we can can claim by the power of the word of God that we aren't boasting ourselves. Lord, God forbid that we ever would boast of ourselves, but that we would boast in you and the glory of your cross and your grace and your mercy to forgive us, redeem us, and then restore us and use us in this world. Father, I pray that we would know that as followers of Christ this morning, we can enjoy the things of life. Yes, we can enjoy the pleasures of life. Of course, that are things that are appropriate in your eyes. But Lord, may we desire above all else to be with you. Father, we love you. We ask that you'd speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. We referenced Philippians chapter 1 in the very first week of the message series. And we talked about this area of Scripture uh, during that first One Life message. And we pointed out in that talk that the reality of Paul's desire that whether in his life or in his death, he would magnify the Lord. He says, I want in my life or in my death that God would be magnified, that, that in everything God would be glorified, that Jesus would be on display. And we talked about the reality that, that while we, we can agree with Paul, we hear the Paul's heart, we say, man, I want that to be true of my life. And we know that, that if we're being honest, it's not always true, but we desire it, we, we hunger for it, we pray for it, we look for opportunities to make that true. And this morning, I want to take a little bit of a different approach to this statement of Paul And when I spend our time this morning talking about how the longing that Paul had to be with Christ, that desire that Paul had to be with Christ, that that he wanted to see his Savior face to face. And I believe he challenges us with the same type of longing, the same type of desire. I don't know about you, but there are times when I just, I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to be with him. And I, I know we're going to talk about a little bit how we are with him today. I'm not saying we're, we're not with him to a degree. But man, can you imagine the day when you are face to face with your Savior? And the world is gone, the stresses of the world, the, everything that we deal with, the, the illnesses and all of it, just gone. And we're just before him. And we just see him for who he is and we're with him. I want to talk this morning about what does it mean to long for Christ? Really two simple points, two simple points. What does it mean 
to long for Christ? Well, the first thing it means, I believe, is that I want to be with him. I want to be with him. When we desire to be with him above all else, we reciprocate the same desire he has for us. Think about this now. When I desire to be with him, we're reciprocating. We're we're kind of returning back to him the same desire he has for us. When we know Christ is our Savior, we will be longing to be in his presence. And by the way, here's the amazing part. He wants to be with you more than you will ever want to be with him. That's amazing to me. He desires to be with you. He wants you in his presence. The reality that Christ desires to be with us, that Christ desires to be with me, is one of the hardest things for me to believe. Do you know why that's true? Maybe this is true of you. I know it's true of me. That Christ desires to be with me is hard to understand because I know me. Right? I know me. And I'm like, God, there's, there's way better people you should want in your presence, way better people you want to use than me. I mean, I, me? You desire to save me? And then you realize, why does he desire to be with you? Because one, he loves you. You're his creation. And two, it glorifies him. It promotes his grace to all generations. This is what Jesus was praying for before going to the cross. John chapter 17. I referenced this when we referenced John 17, just so we're all on the same page. Uh, many of you have maybe been taught that the model prayer or the Lord's prayer um, is where he, you know, in Matthew when he says, uh, give us this day our daily bread. That, that, we think of that as the Lord's prayer. That is the model prayer. It's an example of prayer. But the Lord's prayer, the prayer the Lord prayed is John 17. This is before he goes to the cross. And he's praying for many things in John 17. If you've never read it, I encourage you to do so. In the first part of the prayer, he's praying really for himself. He's praying for the Father's glory, and he's praying for himself. Then he transitions to praying for the disciples, and then he ends the prayer by praying for his church. So by the way, 2,000 years ago, before Jesus went to the cross, he was praying for you. That's amazing. That's awesome. That Jesus was praying in the garden for those that would come to believe. That's, that's you and I. That's the church today. But in John 17, 21, as he's praying for the disciples and for the church, he says this, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Do you hear that oneness, the desire of Christ? The prayer of Christ is that the church would be one with each other as they are one in Christ. There's a desire to be with us and us with him. Just as he is with the Father, he desires us to be with him. Can you imagine that relationship for a moment? Well, is it safe to say that Jesus and God are pretty close? I mean, they're one, okay? They're one. They're, they're, they're that tight of a union. And Christ is praying, Father, I pray that those that come to faith in me, those that put their faith and trust in my name, that they'll be one with me and one with us as we are one. That oneness, that unity that is spoken of here is such a powerful reality that expresses the heart of God from really day one. He wants to be with us. Then Jesus also said, if you go back a couple chapters in John 14, 3, this is when he's preparing the disciples for the reality of his departure. He makes this statement that where I am, there you may be also. Which means that oneness we share in Christ will last for eternity. 
When we desire along to be with him, we are reacting to him with the same desire he has for us. He wants oneness in this life with him through the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. He wants that unity, us to him, him to us, as it is between him and the Father. And then he says, and by the way, when this physical life ends, that oneness, that unity will not stop. It will actually be fulfilled. And now you'll be with me, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, it's amazing to me, but it's shocking at the same point. Because again, God is showing such grace and mercy to us that he would desire to be with us. So do we desire to be with him that way? Do we hunger to long to be with him? I mean, does it consume us through the course of a day? Now, I'm not talking about becoming monks and sitting in a monastery and just chanting and all day. I don't know why I always do this when I think I'm chanting, but that's what I always think of, okay? I'm not talking about that. I mean, we live our life. And let, me, let me ask it this way. Um, maybe this is a silly illustration. Maybe this wouldn't fit for you. But for me, I think about it this way. Um, I love my wife. I do. And I don't think about her 24-7. But I love, I know, it's shocking, right? I know Vic's like, uh, we need to talk, brother. Okay? Some of you guys are just way better husbands than me. That's all it is. Um, which isn't a high stand. Anyway, so... Um, but when you think about the reality that, that when I think of Sandra, when, when she does come to my mind, man, I, I can't wait to see her. I can't wait to be around her. Uh, with all this, you know, stuff going on, I've been able to come into the church, so I haven't been at home as maybe as much as other spouses have been together. So maybe that's why she still wants to be around me. Maybe if I was home more, she'd be like, you got to go. Um, but I, I long to be with her. But, but I don't sit in my office and go, oh, I can't wait to be with her 24-7. Because there's other things that are on our minds, other things that we are doing, okay? If you're, if you're doing your job, your mind is on your job, right? Is this fair? You're doing the job before you. But when you have that moment of free time, when you're not consumed with thinking about what you're doing in that moment for your job or whatever it is, or you're dealing with something with a child or something, when you have that moment where your mind can drift for a second, as a spouse, my mind might, may at times drift to, man, I can't wait to be with Sandra. I can't wait to hear how her day's going or to hear her voice or to see her. It's kind of an illustration I think of with this. It's not that God is saying, okay, 24-7, you just think about, I can't wait to be with God. I can't wait to be with Jesus. I can't wait to be with Jesus. And then you get nothing done through the course of a day because you're just sitting on your hands thinking about being with Jesus. That's not what we're talking about. We're active. We're doing life. We're, we're focused on things that we need to be focused on. But when we have that moment for our mind to kind of wander, and our mind to kind of drift away from the immediate thing we're doing, does it drift to, man, I can't wait to see Jesus one day. Man, I wonder what it's going to be like. Does it, does it drift to that? Or is it filled with other consume, consuming thoughts and things that we find ourselves giving ourselves to, maybe even stressful things? When we are in his presence now, but we always feel like it's not enough. That's what we're talking about. This idea of I want to be with him. When we are in his presence now, but we always feel like it's not enough. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever finished your devotional time, your prayer time, your time at church, and felt like you just wanted more? You ever been there? You finish praying, right? You've read maybe a chapter of scripture, or maybe it was two or three verses, and you do some studying on it, and you do some cross-referencing, and then you pray for a little while, and you're just, man, you're just so joyful to be before the Lord, and you finish praying because you know you've got things to do, right? Again, we have lives to live, responsibilities to meet, and we step away from that time, and maybe we're doing the next thing, and we're thinking, man, I just want to go back. I, I just want to get back in his word. I just can't wait to get back in the word of God and, and spend some more time with him. 
Do you ever feel like, I just can't wait to be back at church? I just can't wait to be back with the, the, the church family. I just can't wait. And that's one of the things I think has been a blessing of this whole COVID thing and churches suspending services and, and doing what they think is best. And then some churches are now saying, let's get back together and have physical gatherings. One of the biggest things I heard people saying was, I just, I, hearing the word of God online is great. And, and even some people were saying, you know, they were able to listen to people that they don't normally get to listen to because they're in church and other churches were live streaming. So they were able to hear different pastors or speakers or whatever. Um, and I always say with that blessing of that availability of technology, uh, please use discernment. Um, just, it may or may not be accurate to God's word. So just use discernment when you're listening to somebody uh, convey God's word, okay? Uh, great men of God that have preached the word of God and there's some amazing opportunities we have to listen to that. But during this time, I've had people say, man, I just... You know, I, I'm in the Word of God daily. I, I'm still doing my devotions. I'm, you know, I'm listening to the sermons online, and I'm, I'm still getting that. But I just miss being with God's people. I just long, I just want to be with them. That's kind of what we're talking about. When we finish that time, do we just go, but man, I just want more. Man, do you ever finish reading the Bible? And some of us, we finish reading the Bible, and we're like, okay, I got my five verses, and Lord, I'm good. See you tomorrow, right? Like we just, I, I checked the box. Unfortunately, some of us may be there in our Christian walk. But you ever finish reading the Bible and then you start reading a passage and you're like, okay, I'm just gonna, you're, maybe you're doing a devotional. I'll uh, have this happen sometimes when a devotional say, read verses like 15 through 20, okay? So I read those verses and then I'll go back to the devotion and I'll do the, you know, questions or whatever it asks and I'll kind of do the thing in it and then I'll go, oh, what about 21 and 25 and 26? And I'll go back and I'll start reading and then I'm like, oh, I gotta be done because I got stuff to do. Like I gotta, I gotta move on. But if you have that hunger, that's what we're talking about. It's just never enough. Now, we all know, and I pray you know, your salvation is not based in how long you pray or how long you read. We're not talking about a legalism that if I read this long or pray this long, somehow God is happy with me. I've got his merit and his favor. We're just merely saying that as a follower of Christ, freely saved by his grace through, grace through faith, you just feel like it's not enough. I honestly believe Paul would relate with you and say he's there as well. Paul says it best in Philippians chapter 1. What did he say? To be with Christ, meaning with him physically, like literally, not just in the presence of Christ, which, by the way, when we open the Word of God and we're in our, our devotional time, guess what? We're in his presence, amen? We're before God. We're receiving things of him. We're in his presence. But Paul's saying, I want to be with him literally, like physically I want to be with God. He says that is far better. Some of your translations may translate that phrase far better a little differently. The word far in the original Greek here means more and to a greater degree. More and to a greater degree. When you study that word out, there's a comparative word in the Greek that carries a similar definition, a similar idea. And it is kind of defined as especially, chiefly, most of all, above all. So Paul, when under the direction of the Holy Spirit, Paul is penning these words. And he's, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit of God would take the heart of the author, the personality of the author, the, the, the desires of the author, and in unison with the overseeing, the superintending of the Holy Spirit, create the Word of God, where it's without fault, without failure. It's the Word of God through and through, but yet we see the heart of Paul. We see the, the personality of Paul as we do with the personality of John, as we talked about last week. When Paul writes these words under the direction of the Holy Spirit, he chooses a word in the Greek that conveys the greatest idea of what I have now 
cannot compare to what's coming. Paul uses a word that carries such a clear understanding. To be with Christ is above all else. That's really what Paul's saying. Man, to be with him is above everything else. It's above all. There is nothing greater than that reality. Nothing compares to being with Christ. So let me ask you this morning, do you long to be with him? I mean, do you just, just yearn to be with him? Do you find yourself when you finish your time with the word of God just going, God, I just want more because I just want you. Do you long to be with Christ? Paul says to be with Christ is far better. It's above, it's chiefly, it's above all else, especially above everything. Nothing compares to that reality. Longing for Christ means I want to be with him, but also I believe longing for Christ means I want to see him. Now, you may think, well, what's the difference? When I'm with him, I will see him. I want to unpack this idea of seeing him just a little bit. First John, uh, go to First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. We were in First John last week, and we talked about the love of God for us and the love we should have for one another. But First John chapter 3, I want to point out a passage here that I believe puts into words our understanding of what it means when we see him. I want to be with him, and I want to see him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew not him. But that doesn't mean that people in the world forget who you are. <laughs> like, your neighbor, like you get saved, your neighbor's like, who are you? I don't even remember you. That's not what we're talking about, okay? This is where literal interpretation goes a little far. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what does it mean then? It means the world doesn't understand us. Now, some of you have a hard time being understood by other people, but that's not because you're a Christian, okay? The reality is, and if you're like, who's he talking about? It might be you. Okay, the reality is that when the world sees us, our desires, our longings, our motivations, what pleases us, what we, what we desire— they don't get it. They're like, I don't understand. Why do you care so much about that? Why are you consumed by this? Why do you think about those things? Why aren't you driven with this and that like we all are? That's what John's saying here. When we receive the love of God for us, we are called the sons of God, sons and daughters of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew not him. It didn't recognize Christ as Christ. Now, we're not saying that everyone in the world is this way. What do we mean? Those in the world who choose to reject Christ do not understand. But those who receive Christ both Jew and Gentile, right? All peoples, they will understand who Christ is. Verse two, beloved. There's that term again, I love. I love that word in scripture to define the believer. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. When do we become a son of God, a daughter of God? In heaven? When some group of Christians say, okay, now you're a saint, now you're good. As soon as you receive the gospel, you become a son and daughter of God. And I love that John says again, he reminds them, hey, by the way, right now. We can long to be with him, but right now we are his. We are his. First John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. So, so some take this to mean we're going to grow in this life. But I think the real teaching here is that one day we will be changed anew in his heaven when we see him face to face, and which is what he goes on to say here. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know 
uh, we know that, sorry, when we shall appear, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's the phrase I want to focus on this morning. A lot of people focus on, well, we'll be changed and we'll be new and we'll be like him. Like him does not mean divinity. Okay, it doesn't mean we're going to become God. Okay, we're not going to be little gods in the sense of ruling like part of the Godhead. What it means is we will have similar features. The glorified body is what many believe is being spoken of here. We'll be like him. We'll be changed and transformed. We'll be a new. And then it says this, we shall see him as he is. Not as he was, not as he's going to be, but in the state he is right here when John is penning these words, he is in the same state that he will be in when we see him face to face. You ever stop and think about that moment? Not just to be with him, but to see him in his fullness, in his glory. We read of him, or I'm sorry, we have never seen Christ physically. Although there are a ton of artist renderings and paintings of what we think he looks like. Just so you know, Jesus most likely was not European. Long, brown, flowing, straight hair. Blue-eyed, fair-skinned. That's most likely not what Jesus looked like, not to bust your bubble. It's amazing how a man from first century Israel can look like a guy from the Middle Ages in Europe. I don't know how that happens. Now we know what happens, right? What is it? The, The artist of that time painted Jesus as they would think of Jesus looking. There's nothing wrong with it per se, but we know that's not what he looks like. We don't know physically. We don't have an image of him physically. But I don't believe those that saw him physically even saw him in his fullness. I don't believe the disciples really saw the fullness of who Christ was. We read of him and try to imagine what he looks like. We try to imagine his facial hair and his, his hair and his complexion and his, his features. People will say, well, Isaiah said he wasn't much to look at. He wasn't an overly attractive man. He was normal looking. He was average looking. But we don't know exactly what he looks like. I believe our ideas will fall very short when we gaze upon him because we will see him in his glory. We will see him in his glory. A small group of disciples saw him in a hint of his glory. Go over to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. Thank you so much for bringing your Bible with you. Uh, Or maybe you're looking off of someone else's next to you. Uh, We want to make sure we get into the Word of God. And so if you don't have a copy of the the Word of God with you, uh, please let us know. You can go to the Welcome Center. You can pick up a Bible there. Or on your device, you can download our app, uh, which is North Goodland BC in your app store. And there's a Bible feature there as well. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 1 says here, And after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his brother, This James and John would be James and John, the sons of Zebedee. This John would be the John that writes the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation. Um, And James, we read of, actually uh, is one of the first Christian, uh, one of the first disciples martyred um, for his faith. And so we see here, he says, uh, takes James and John, his brother, and brings them up into a high mountain apart, verse 2, and was transfigured before them. This is Jesus was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun. And the raiment was white as the light. Think about that for a moment, would you please? Just imagine you're Peter, James, and John. 
and you don't know what's going on. I mean, these guys were part of what we call the inner circle. Now, some people think Andrew was there too, because Andrew was kind of always in the background. But we know for sure James, John, and Peter were there. And they're going with Jesus. And there was oftentimes they would kind of go with Jesus on the inner three, if you will, or his inner circle. It's not that he loved them more. He sovereignly chose these three needed to see this. So he takes them with them. And could you imagine, like, Jesus there on this mountain, and all of a sudden his face begins to shine like the sun? Now, I know in Michigan we're like, what's the sun? It's out today. Okay, we don't see it a whole lot. But enjoy the next couple of months when it's available to, to be seen. Okay? On a, on a summer day, you ever try to look up at the sun and just the, you, can't, you can't even look directly at it, right? Could you imagine that's the face of Jesus? And then his clothes begin to shine white as the light. It just, I mean, what, what would, don't answer out loud, but what would go through your mind? Like, what would you be thinking in that moment? Well, we know what Peter thinks, because whenever Peter thought something, he said something, right? I believe James and John maybe had the same idea, but Peter was the only one, maybe the one foolish enough to open his mouth. But look what he says here. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, or Elijah, talking with him. <laughs> this is crazy to me. Like, I think we've been in church too long if we can read that and go, uh-huh, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Moses, been dead for a few hundred years, thousands of years. Elijah, he shows up. And they're just talking. Yeah, that sounds right. I would, I've always thought this too, and I don't know the answer. How did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Did Jesus look back and go, hey, by the way, guys, Moses, Moses, Peter, James, John, Elijah, James, John, Peter. Like, we don't see an introduction, okay? But they recognize them. Matthew, at least, understands who it is. So maybe James and Peter and John weren't fully aware but we know Matthew is aware of who they are by the direction of the Holy Spirit. It says here, so Elijah and Moses and Jesus, they're just talking. Well, I've always wondered this too. What are they talking about? Like, what are they, what's, I mean, Moses, how's it going? Elijah, hey, how's it going? Isn't it nice to be on a mountaintop not battling prophets of Baal? Isn't that, isn't that fun, Elijah? I mean, like, what, what was going, I have a weird mind, I guess, because I think things they would have no business talking, they would never talk about the silly things I would talk about. But, but then Peter does what Peter does. And I love Peter because we, some of us might say the same thing, by the way. We might be caught up in this moment and just blurt something out. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good. Okay, if you're talking to Jesus, start your question with, or start a question with, is it good? Don't start a statement with, it is good. Let Jesus tell you if it's good, okay? Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt let us make here three tabernacles, one for, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What is Peter suggesting? Worship of Moses and Elijah. What's that called? When you put Jesus on the same plane as Moses and Elijah. Idolatry. That's what that's called. So suggesting idolatry to the Son of, Jesus, or to the Son of God in, as, as he was to Jesus. Verse 5. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Now, I want to finish this. We're not going to spend all the time on this part, but I want to go here. Who's the voice? Who spoke from the cloud of light that overshadowed them? It was God the Father. We see this happening at the baptism of Christ, right? Jesus is baptized. The Spirit's descending. God the Father says, 
this is my beloved son. So he says a similar statement, but he ends it with this. What does he say at the very end? Hear him. Okay, Jesus is going to say something. You need to listen. Verse 6, and when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid, as all of us would be. Jesus came and touched them and said, arise and be not afraid. What's the first thing Jesus says to them when God says, listen to Jesus? Arise, don't be afraid. And I love that about our Savior. A word of comfort? Peter just blurted something out. He had no idea what he was suggesting. But Jesus gives comfort and grace. Doesn't rebuke him. Now, we know there's rebuke that comes, but he doesn't rebuke him in this moment. The first thing is they're laying on their face, imagining. By the way, I'd be thinking I'm going to get consumed by the fire of God. Like, gone. But Jesus comes over and puts his hand on them and says, Hey, guys, arise. Be not afraid. Because Jesus showed the grace of God. When he could condemn, he chooses to give grace. Now, I know that Peter's rebuked at other points, but in this moment, I love that that reality takes place. And so what, why did I go here? What's the point of this? Because here's what I want you to notice. This transfiguration moment, many have suggested that Jesus began to display the glory that he really had the entire time, that this is, he, he, he limited his own glory. And we know this to be true from other passages. He, he laid aside certain aspects of his glory so that he could take on flesh and dwell among us. But Jesus begins to kind of give a hint of his glory. The reason I call it a hint of his glory, and I still think Peter, James, and John didn't see the fullness of the glory that Christ truly could expose or display, is because when the light, the cloud shows up, or the light shows up that overshadowed them, this cloud of light, this, this powerful light, it says it overshadowed them. So I don't think Jesus' glory is going to be overshadowed by the glory of God. I think it was God saying, I'm going to show you who we really are for a second. And they were knocked to their faces by the power of the glory of God. So here's what I'm pointing out. Even in this moment, as powerful a language as we read, the face like the sun, the clothes as white as light, it still doesn't compare. It's going to be greater than that. It's going to be overwhelming when we see him face to face. The instant reaction when Peter saw Jesus even display a hint of glory was to worship. He saw the face of Christ and he saw the light of the clothes and he fell down and worshiped, of course, inappropriately in a sense, but still, what was the reaction? We must worship. We must fall down. I cannot imagine how Christ will look when we see him, and I honestly cannot wait to the day that we will see him as he is in his fullness. I want to see him as he is, but also longing for Christ means I want to see him with the wounds he took for me. With the wounds he took for me. When we see Christ, the lamb that was slain for our sin, we will see the scars of salvation. I want to go to one more passage. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and I want to look at verses 24 through 29. We will see him one day as he is. We can't put it into words. We see a hint of glory here in Matthew, but it's a a hint, I believe. I don't believe it's the full glory of God on display. But one day we will see him in his fullness. John chapter 20, look at verse 24. See, we will see him with the wounds he took for us. This is when Christ appears to Thomas, the disciple. Verse 24, but Thomas... 
verse 24, but when Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. What does Didymus mean? Does anyone know? Thomas, they called Didymus. It means twin. Twin. Thomas was a twin. Wouldn't it be weird if Thomas's twin brother wasn't a believer, and then people were like, hey, you're that guy that follows Jesus. And he's like, no, no, I'm not. It's my brother, Thomas. Okay, I don't know what Thomas's twin's brother name would be. You guys can think on that one. I'm not going to give you any suggestions. But, but the, he, was a, he was known to be a twin. Then in verse 25, the other disciples therefore said unto him, to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. For he said unto them, except I shall see his, in his hands the prints of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Be careful how harsh you are on Thomas. We'll get to that in a minute. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. There again is that word of comfort. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Man. I try to imagine if I was Thomas in that moment, what I'd be thinking. Verse 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. This is the resurrected Christ with a body that apparently could be touched and yet appeared in a room that was, the Bible says, shut. Many think that means actually shut and locked that they were in a locked room. And it says that the door didn't open. Nobody asked them to come in. Jesus just appeared in the midst. So he's in a body that is physical to the point of being able to be touched because he offers it to Thomas, go ahead and touch my body, but also spiritual on this point that he could just appear in a room and apparently just appear there even though it was shut and locked. He offers to Thomas his wounds. Now, we do not read that Thomas actually touched the wounds of Christ, but Christ offered them so he could have. As much as we give Thomas a hard time, I believe he is an example of someone who wanted to be sure that he was believing the right thing to be with Christ. I believe Thomas was less of a doubter and more of a, I want to make sure about this thing. I want to know for sure. I also believe Thomas was heartbroken over the death of Christ. I believe it wrecked him, and I believe that's, not, that's why he wasn't with the disciples the first time that Jesus appeared to them. I believe Thomas was, was struggling, as we all may at times. He makes it clear that he wanted to be with Christ more than anything else. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, how do we know the way? How do we know the way? In John 11, he is willing, above the other disciples, to die with Christ when the other disciples seem intimidated to go to Bethany for Lazarus. If you remember the story, I love the story. They're, re, they're, they're kind of sitting along, and Jesus says, we have to go to Lazarus. Then he gets to the point of saying, Lazarus, is just, they're kind of hemming and hawing. And Jesus says, well, he's sleeping. We need to go wake him up. And one of the disciples or the disciples say, if he's sleeping, we should just let him sleep. Like, why bother him? Because there's some Jews, some Pharisees down here in Jerusalem, which is not far from Bethany. They would want to kill us. So why don't we let Lazarus sleep and we'll be good? You know, it's Thomas is the one that says, well, let's go. And if we die, we die. He was willing to die with Christ. By the way, he was willing to do what Peter professed that he was going to do, but didn't. And so I honestly believe, and this is my opinion, 
I honestly believe when Thomas realized that Jesus was on the cross paying for the sins of the world when he was dying, I think Thomas felt heartbroken that he wasn't dying for Christ with Christ. And I wonder if that's why he wasn't there initially. Maybe he was so emotionally wrecked from this whole thing. And then they show up and they say, hey, we've seen the resurrected Christ. And Thomas says, I need to know. I need to know. Now, that is some, to some degree, you could call that a doubt, I guess. But I think it was more based in, man, I want to know that I know that I'm going to be with Jesus because I long to be with him. And what's his reaction when Jesus appears and shows him the scars or the wounds, rather, in his hands and in his side, he declares, my Lord and my God. Instant submission to God in Christ. I love that Christ does not rebuke Thomas directly. He does say a word that could be considered a form of a rebuke, but not initially, but desires him to be faithful and to be at peace. I find it so encouraging to see the compassion of Christ to appear to Thomas this way. He already appeared to the disciples. Did he have to come back just for Thomas? He didn't have to. Notice how Thomas didn't say a word, but Jesus knew what Thomas's need was. Here, Thomas, go ahead. Here, go ahead, right there, go ahead. Because Christ was compassionate enough to say, man, I want you to be at peace and I want you to believe. I want you to believe, Thomas. Also, Christ, notice it speaks about future believers, those that believe and have not seen. That's you and I today. We have not yet seen, but one day we will see him and we will be like him. Do you long for Christ this morning? Do you long to be with him, but do you long to see him? Do you long to see the wounds so that we could fall in worship and say, you are the lamb that was slain for the glory of God? Because we long for Christ to be with him and to see him, we hold things in this life loosely. We realize that while it is needful for us to remain in this life for a time, we cannot think the things in this life will in any way compare to what's awaiting us. As Paul said, to be with Christ is above all. Let me ask you in closing as we prepare for an invitation, are you longing for Christ? Do you find yourself wanting more of him? Have you grown content to let the things of the world fill your mind and make you believe that these things are what it's all about. My desire as I pray that God would do in my life, and I know I'm not there yet. I'm just being transparent. I'm not there. I don't long for Christ the way I should, and I know I don't long for Christ the way I could. So let's desire together as a body of Christ and yearn to be with him, to see him because he carries the wounds of your redemption, and he desires to be with you for his glory. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Father, I can't imagine the day that we will be with you physically, literally, the day we will see you as you are in your fullness and in your glory. We will see the wounds that you, that you suffered for us. So, Lord, my prayer is that we would long for you, that it would consume us. Lord, yes, while we still maintain our responsibilities, while we still do what we need to do, but it would be a desire that we have that would fill us. Because, Lord, I believe that when we have a heavenly mindset fixed on you, while living in this world, yes, and, and doing the things we're called to do, but our minds are fixed on you, we, we're thinking heavenly, 
I believe it will keep us sober in our thinking. It will help us to determine what is worth and not worth our time. We will realize how to spend our money. As we said before, when we put you on supreme display in our life, we will realize that all the things you've gifted to us in this life are for you. So they don't consume us or control us. They're merely tools that you've given to us to make you known and to show the world our faith in you. Father, help us to long for you. I know it's hard. There's so many things pulling at our attention. But I pray that we would make that decision today. Father, for the one or maybe more here today that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, it's not about going to church. It's not about doing good things or being a good person or being moral. It's about the reality of have we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? Have we confessed our sins, repented of those sins, turned and asked Christ to save us of our sins, believing he died on the cross, were buried and rose again? It's that personal profession. That's what salvation is. And so I pray that we would know that you suffered the wounds of Calvary for us. May we call out to you if we have not done so already, receiving you and the forgiveness of sins. Because Lord, your word makes it clear if we choose to pay for our own sins, which you will allow us to do. That is an eternity in hell separated from you. But if we choose to lay our lives at your feet and receive the payment of sin you've offered, we can be saved and redeemed. Work now, we ask, in these lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet this morning as we have a time of invitation. Whatever God is doing, would you respond as we spend some time before him and with him, asking him to affirm these things in our heart this morning.